Have you danced in the new year? Well, you're about to with us. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And uh, happy new year to all of you. This is our first episode of 2023. Very exciting. And uh, we are starting this month off with uh, a look at Fleetwood Mac's 1997 live album, The Dance. Our month will be all albums from 97 because this is my birth month. And uh, 97 is my year of birth, and there's a lot of stuff to discuss, but I decided to do this one because, well, this is my favorite band. We talked about one of them solo before, but this is a different animal altogether. I was inspired to pick it because, sadly, Christine McVie passed away at the end of November, and what a loss. What a unique, singular voice in pop music who will never be forgotten in my book, and we're going to delve into some of what made her so great here, but also the whole shebang, of course, like we always do. So we get to celebrate her a little bit more on this on this album, too. You know, she's she comes to the forefront a bit on this one. And that's yeah, cool. she she was the MVP many times and people didn't even realize it. I'm one of them. <laughs> she really was, especially as the band uh, went on and on. I think she started to carry the load at that point. Right. You know, she started to really take Nick's spots and things like that. Just play different parts than she originally was, correct? Uh, to an extent. She was in the band well before Stevie and Lindsay, a few years before them, and then they joined. But that kind of actually is a good preamble to this album, actually, because this is a reunion album, and Fleetwood Mac has never had a consistent lineup. Just from the get-go... They had so many departures in their first seven years of existence, it's really hard to keep track of it all. But there was a lot of turnover. The only two members who were there the whole time were Mick Fleetwood and John McVie. And so they were there and doing their thing. They were the rhythm section, but the songwriters and singers for the band kept changing and they finally got to a solid place once Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined them and Christine McVie kept doing her thing and history was made with that lineup. That's the rumors lineup. And they put out five albums together and became one of the most beloved bands around the world. But they always had a lot of drama. And by this point in 1997, Lindsey Buckingham had left Fleetwood Mac in 1987 over a disagreement regarding touring for their Tango in the Night album. He didn't want to do it. The rest of the band did. And so he left on not pretty terms at all. I'm not going to get into the whole story because really we weren't there and we don't actually know what happened. And just look it up and draw your own conclusions because I'm just, I'm not sure about it, but that's beside the point. But they continued on, however... Stevie Nicks left the band in 1991, which is a story we will get into because it relates to a song on this album. But Fleetwood Mac had lost two very principal members who had bought them a lot of commercial success, and they floundered in the 90s, frankly. They put out an album in 95 that failed the chart. Christine McVie participated on the album but wouldn't tour, and their tour lost money. They wow. had... 
these replacement singers, Becca Bramlett and Dave Mason, and people just weren't buying it. And frankly, Stevie and Lindsay weren't doing the best solo-wise. Their previous albums to this had tanked pretty badly. Neither of them were even certified gold and just didn't chart very high. So this kind of came at a good time for everybody. And the wheels got in motion when Lindsay Buckingham was working on a solo album circa 1996. And Mick Fleetwood played drums on it. And it wasn't uncommon for the band members to show up on the solo works of others. But this was their first time working together in almost a decade. And soon enough, John and Christine McVie were involved with this solo album by Lindsay Buckingham. And also, Lindsay Buckingham recorded a duet with Stevie Nicks called Twisted for the movie Twister. So things were in motion. And in 1997, with the involvement of MTV, we got the dance, a reunion concert special that led to a live album and tour. I'm curious because I was an infant when this came out. Do you remember hearing about this when it was on TV the first time? I do. I, this was sophomore year of high school for me. Um, was it something I stopped to listen to? No. Was it something, of course, you heard about? Yes. I mean, it was groundbreaking. Like we said before, the top tier from many people lineup of Fleetwood Mac was coming back together and it was on MTV and it was in the prime of it all going down. Even as a young listener, Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac and um, rumors, a bunch of Fleetwood Mac albums were alive and well in my house throughout my development as a young music lover. So Fleetwood Mac was in the wheelhouse, but sophomore year of high school, it wasn't in the playlists. It wasn't in the car. It wasn't in the CD binder at that point. So it really didn't, it really wasn't something that I stopped to look at, but I definitely remember it. Okay. And that's fair. There was a lot else going on 90s musically, of course. And uh, I mean, Fleetwood Mac's a pretty far cry from Led Zeppelin in a lot of ways. So yeah, I, I was listening to a lot of hip hop in 97. Uh, I mean, you think like Wu-Tang Forever was hitting, uh, Christ, there's a, a bunch of albums. Plus, I was listening to a lot of rock and roll then. I, I really hadn't found my place in the jam scene or the love for the jam scene yet in my uh, in my music listening. So this was, I was still there with Soundgarden put a best of out this year. I remember picking up the A-sides, you know, yeah. like that stuff was all just pretty heavy in my rotation. Yeah, and the dance admittedly doesn't really fit into that, but there was an audience for it, clearly. Oh, yes. Yeah. This was the 20-year anniversary of Rumors, so a perfect time to do it. And first time they'd all performed together in a while, they did a one-off performance at Bill Clinton's inauguration, of course, that was heavily publicized, but that was it. That, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> that didn't lead to a reunion, but... They sure enough were back together for this, and it also undoubtedly was somewhat, maybe not inspired by, but notice was definitely taken of the fact that their peers, the Eagles, had had a very successful reunion album a few years prior with Hell Freezes Over, and that album might be Diamonds now. That was a huge success in 94-95, so the idea of their peers coming back couldn't have sounded bad and everybody had a lot to gain from it at this point because nobody was in their prime it was the perfect time and the people bought it this album was released in august it was recorded in may 
at Warner Brothers Studios. I really want to know what stage it was filmed on in the studios. I just, I really honestly hope it was the Friends stage. It (laughs) probably wasn't, but how cool would that be? But I digress. (laughs) I just want to combine my passions. It's fine. Hey, it all it all comes together. We know you. It all it all seems to find some way to connect, and I love it. <laughs> I I try. I tell you, as far as an audience goes, for me, they have always epitomized what a band is, and not so much musician wise. There's something to be said about the family bond, or just the bond that forms when you're in a band with people. So people might see things like the love triangles or the this or the that or Stevie having to do Betty Ford or any of that and be like, man, you know, immediately I'd be done. But there's so many things that I guess people who have never experienced don't understand about that bond that them coming back together. It's always been the epitome of that rock band. Like them coming back together is just that perfect example of how the music will always be stronger than anything else. That bond of, of of the band will always be stronger than everything else. I always commended them for that. So I I feel like they they have that not so much comeback story, but they have that story that everyone loves to see, that happy everybody back together. And that automatically gives them a huge audience, whether it's in their playlist or not. Yes. And admittedly, it did last long because Christine McVie left the band it- as soon as the tour was over because she didn't (laughs) want to do it anymore. But for a brief moment, this was a very successful experiment. The tour for this was hugely successful. 44 cities in the U.S. and it grossed $36 million in 1997. So clearly one of the hottest tickets that year. And the album debuted at number one, 199,000 copies sold, and it stayed in the top 40 for seven months. And uh, the Mac was back. That was really what it was, and it was a big uh, thing for people in 1997. And uh, I think it went to show, because outside of all the gossip that this band is capable of... uh, there's a lot more to them, and I think the durability of their compositions uh, really shined through in this recording, but it's also a unique recording in that it's not just uh, hits done live. It's a lot more than that. We get new material from each writer, and some songs you might not have expected revisited, And we're going to get into that. And those were really the things that got the most attention from this were those revisited songs, because there were two that didn't get as much attention before, but got put on a really big scale thanks to the dance. I think that also speaks volumes to the fact that this was the first time since they had charted since, what, 82, correct? So, like, even with the... Since they hit the top of the charts, yes. Yeah, so even with the new stuff, it speaks volumes of, you you said it the best, the Mac is back on this one, you know, and that's real. Yeah, the anticipation was high, and I think they delivered, and I think a lot of other people did too, so... Well, we'll have to see about that. Yeah, we will. (laughs) That we will. And with that being said, uh, let's get into the Dan. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this album begins with Fleetwood Mac's most common concert opener. The Chain, originally from Rumors. It starts off side two. And interestingly, this song was never a single the first time around, but it's an iconic song that got a lot of radio airplay, and it's a true band song. And uh, I think it's a perfect concert opener because it's a song that really builds to an epic, fast climax. Like, you're almost finishing a marathon. And of course, those beautiful vocal harmonies are intact as ever. And it's not quite as one as it is on the album, but that's okay. Because, yes, Stevie and Lindsay have much lower voices in 1997 than they did in 1977. But the power is still there. And that's what matters the most. I do feel at first they're kind of getting into it a bit like they're reestablishing that groove because this was the first time they played together in a full concert at least in 15 years because minus the clinton inauguration there'd been nothing so uh, you hear some of that nerves but that makes it all the more powerful i think it's perfectly imperfect it's perfectly live yes so this is going to be our first live album and if you just join us for the first time in the new year if you've been with us for a while you might even not know how much of live music well aficionados i'll put for for charlie but live music junkies we are and how much we love it and the reason we love it is because of that perfect imperfection charlie what a great way to say it uh that perfect imperfection is here you're right you can hear it you can hear it i mean i'm getting ahead of myself with the with that but but pin that pin that perfect imperfection because as a listener we're doing live album I am standing in the crowd for this. I'm imagining what it's what it's like. I'm imagining the just waiting for Fleetwood Mac to hit the stage and they open with the chain right off the cut. This is how you do a reunion period. This is how you do a concert period opener. I mean, right off the gate, Buckingham's jamming. The slide guitar that he puts on this, I don't know if he used a dobro like the original recording, but regardless, the slide he puts on this has a few extra notes that give it this sitar feel almost, and I love it. Uh, again, the, the, we're into these perfect imperfections of live or these different things that we're going to hear throughout. Even with, and you touched on the voices, I, st- I still think they hit it. Buckingham was a little bit pr- more masculine and pronounced than I had remembered him, but I mean, so, so right there, down to the fretless bass uh, of McVie, uh, just still as powerful as it was the first time I ever heard it. And standing there and and hearing that would be insane. There's a break at 2.15, the normal break, right in the middle of the song. And there is a, sounds like a lady, who knows, but there's someone in the crowd that just gives it. And it's it's one of my favorite times to give it live for two reasons. I love that sonic break and living inside of it but also i like to see if i can make the recording on some of these albums especially at like a fish show and whatnot so i i give a shout out to the person who got a little scream in there stevie sounds wonderful i can't tell you how excited on both as me 
listening to it for this to, so we can break it down, but also role playing as a listener inside of that concert. I am through the roof right now. Woo! Yeah, you're imagining yourself as a VIP. This was an exclusive oh, yeah. audience. I, you that. know what? I, I meant to ask you that before we even started. Do you know a count on how many people it had to be intimate? What do you think? Like 350? I, I'm not quite sure. I'm really, I've never seen an official count on it. It looks right. like a pretty large sound stage. I will say that. And right. uh, I'm sure every stage in that building is different, but it was a TV studio. So yes, it was intimate, but I feel like your estimate's probably not too far off, but it would depend. If it was the friend stage, it was probably the biggest they could have had. <laughs> I heard. Why not use it? You know, that this this is a once in a lifetime experience for a concert goer. So I'm 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 putting that into the role play as we go through. Oh yes. I mean, any Fleetwood Mac concert is, in my opinion, a once in a lifetime experience. I heard that. But we're talking about this one, of course. So, yeah. yes, after this, Stevie Nicks welcomes everyone to the show. And uh, we get into our second song, which is Dreams. And I'm going to say now, I'm not going to get into the backstory of every song here. I really want to focus on these live versions. So if anybody wants to say something or find out what it's about, you can look it up. It's been documented a lot. This song has a pretty cool backstory, but I'm not going to get into it because that's not what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss Dreams 1997. Not when it was written, but a reinterpretation for the dance. And it's pretty faithful to the original, but interestingly, Stevie Nicks forgot the lyrics twice and had to start over. Oh, okay. Okay. And that's fair. It had been a while since she'd performed this song, I guess. Definitely with this group of people. It had been a long time since she had done this song. But what's most interesting to me about this version is that her vocal rhythm is a little different at times. She just puts that slight improvisation and goes off the tempo a little bit. And uh, again, it's that perfect imperfection that I discussed. I like that she does that because it's showing me this is live. This is real. You're not just up there doing it. And again, for me, it really works because if anybody's voice had changed in the time of this reunion, it was Stevie Nicks's. She sounded not a whole lot like she did in 1977. Her voice was much lower by this point, but the power was still there. And that weathered, world-weary interpretation just adds some more weight to the song, in a way. And for some songs, I think it works a bit better than others, because this is a young love song, so... In that case, the original works best, but this is a CV classic. Everybody knows that it was a TikTok hit two years ago. There's really not much more that can be said about dreams that hasn't been said. And this is another strong rendition of it. Yeah, as strong as, as the word. My original notes on this is Stevie sounds amazing. Even with a little bit of a lower register, she is such a phenomenal singer that she knows where her boundaries are and she plays with them and makes them sound like they were the original cut, even in 
a 10 year after so many years after a uh, reunion show as the one we're listening to. We go back into these live, beautiful things that happen maybe on the spot, maybe if they were getting together just to jam beforehand, but right there at 218 where Stevie Nicks comes in, but she, instead of just putting out the wrap around your dreams, she comes in wrap around with this triplet and her and Christy McVie and Mick Fleetwood start to really jam this alternate rhythm. And it starts with that accentuated triplet. And I love it. It's playful, but it's what you get when you have a band like this at the top of their game as far as bands go and know the ins and outs of each other. Then again, the vocal harmonies are so full and beautiful. Sometimes especially in a live setting. For me, sometimes it's almost like, how in the hell are they getting that much sound from just five people? And I don't even know offhand if everybody does backing, but let's say from just four people, it's so beautiful, so powerful, and so spot on. I mean, I will say this. I saw Fleetwood Mac two times and they have a full backing band on the stage with them. Okay, because I was trying to find in the notes if there was anybody. Was there a backing vocals for this performance do you know offhand there were i know some of stevie nicks's backing singers that she has with her all the time were a part of this project okay and that's what i can think of off the top of my head but there are additional vocalists here for sure heard that but at the same time i forgot to mention this stevie didn't come around the play because for this performance she actually One lost 30 pounds and two began working with a vocal coach. And as a result, she was giving a better performance than ever because she was really actually working on her instrument because, uh, well, that had to be the priority if you're going to do this. And uh, she did it, but dreams has to end. And uh, then Christine McVie thanks everyone for coming to their little soiree. I love that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. One of my favorite spoken word moments here. (laughs) And uh, she introduces her song Everywhere, which is from the Tango and the Night album. And uh, the original is great, but I really enjoy this version of Everywhere so much because you can definitely tell that the album version was recorded in 1987. There's synths all over it. Beautiful synths. But this is much more stripped down that just doesn't have that 80s sheen. And it's still a full, beautiful song. But I like that we kind of take it back to basics a bit here. And this is just really where I want to say that Christine McVie was a brilliant pop songwriter. And she doesn't get enough credit. I mean, in my mind, something like this, this is something I put on the level of like what Paul McCartney can do or what Brian Wilson can do. That might be an unpopular opinion, but that's my take. I think she was absolutely brilliant and Everywhere is one of her finest compositions. And I really especially love the harmony vocals here. And you can hear the real band more clearly in this than on the album version, which especially Stevie Nicks, which I really appreciate because you don't even pick her out particularly on... The 87 recording, but here you do. And I think it's just divine. Yeah, it really is. Here we go again, standing in that crowd. You hear this version of Everywhere and you are now inside of a unique version that really hasn't been done before. We get, I'm going to use the phrase of Paul Simon-esque 
Uh, it, always, it felt like that for me to take that Buckingham did with the guitar part early on in this song. And the tempo's just a bit faster than I remembered it. And at first, I remember thinking it was going to take me out a little bit. But once I realized, and you said this great, that instead of focusing on that synthesizer for the main, we get this maraca slash island feel infused throughout of it that really sounds awesome. And I, I love the composition. And then just like you said, you get to that impeccable vocal harmony that hits behind her. And I forget everything and enjoy this like the original. Not that I wasn't enjoying this unique take from the get-go, but now it's, it, it has come to the top of itself and really rounded out into this beautifully realized composition. Such a unique live take on this. Really awesome. And then you even get a little outro from Buckingham at the end. It's short, but it's powerful. Really well done. I agree. I'm glad you liked this version of February. You are right. It is a bit faster tempo-wise, but it works, and that's what matters. It really does. Yeah. I, I, this, this, that's that live music, you know? Yeah, and this is one of the best live versions of a song I've heard, that's for sure. One of my favorites. And now we go on to another live version that's a bit different than the album one, Rhiannon. Interestingly, this was switched a bit on the CD. In the TV concert special, Rhiannon's actually performed much later in the show okay. than here in this it's actually on the show Gold Dust Woman, gotcha. but instead we get Rhiannon and, uh, well, I'll save my thoughts on that for a minute <laughs> in a couple of minutes. So, yeah, this is the Nick signature song. This was the song that introduced her to the world and it defined her persona. And so it had to be included here because it's so important to this band and this artist. And uh, her live versions of this song had always been different. I mean, Mick Fleetwood had even described it being in the 70s. He said watching her do it was like watching an exorcism. It was so intense. And at this point, we're not at that level of intensity, which is probably a good thing because it means far less drugs are involved. So <laughs> here we do get a piano intro with some different lyrics and a pretty cool outro with some different lyrics. Uh, it, it really takes off when she gets to the bridge and sings Dreams Unwind, Loves a State of Mind. And this version then ends up running for almost seven minutes long. And uh, here's the hot tea take. It's probably just me. I like that she gets into this song. However, I think this take is more than a little self-indulgent and not in a great way. And uh, I mentioned Gold Dust Woman earlier. That's the better song, in my opinion, to make longer and into uh, more of a jam, in my opinion, because... I'll say this now. So in 2015, I got to see this lineup. It was their final tour. It ended up being the On With The Show tour. And uh, it wasn't quite what I expected when it came to this song. Stevie Nicks actually did the album version of Rhiannon, not the whole thing, which kind of surprised me. But see, what I like about the album version of Rhiannon is that it's a haunting song, but it has this breezy melody. I love that juxtaposition, and this just amps the drama up a bit too much for me and takes away from it a bit. But Gold Dust Woman at this concert was stretched out to like 10 minutes. And it was a jam session, but it was awesome to watch. And for this, Gold Dust Woman isn't on the CD here. And 
They just cut it off after the natural closing point, which is fine. But I just think that's the better song to make longer in a concert setting. And even here, this is still too long. I mean, I got the longer version when I saw Stevie solo and it wasn't as long as this. It was like a minute shorter. I'm sure it was played up a bit for the cameras. It had to be. And that's why it was made longer. And it's the epic song. But I've never been as into the live versions of Rihanna and his other folks. And that's my hot tea take of the episode. Hot tea take. I see it. I I, I see where you're at. I can see where you're at even in the self-indulgent piece. But I think for me, I think the length comes from instead of a, a self-indulgent mindset, we at that four minute and 21 mark, we really get a jam from the whole band inside of this on Rhiannon. That When it first started off, I was like, Crystal Visions version, here we go. W- what are we going to do? And then she did an intro that I had never heard before. I even, in fact, went and tried to find where, where like, if I had ever heard her do this exact one before and I couldn't find it. It was a unique one where she almost goes where she goes into like a stop uh, one spoken word end on two lines coming into the intro. For me, the person that might not have been all the way there, just as a listening standpoint for me, was Mick Fleetwood on this. His drums are always prominent inside of Rhiannon, but back then or when I've heard it or whoever's doing the drums for it, they always take that snare more. And it sounds like he ends up using these floor toms and it's a little bit too heavy and he's just a little bit ahead of tempo. That's me nitpicking. I really enjoy this composition, you know, and I'll give it right back to Mick Fleetwood. At the end of this, he's jamming on triangles. He's jamming on anything he can get his hands on and they're really going at it. So I, yeah, I have to be on the other side of the coin on this one. I really enjoyed this. I thought this was a powerful rendition. Most people are on the other side of the coin of this, but admittedly, for me over time, I think Rhiannon's just lost a bit of its spell, I guess you could say, because it's just been so prominent. And uh, sometimes it's hard to uh, take songs in and put them in the settings they don't belong. I'll discuss that a bit more when we get to another song on the album. I think that's something that's happened with this band a bit, but I don't think that's the case with this next song at all. I'm So Afraid. This is from the 1975 self-titled album, also known as The White Album, same album that features Rhiannon, but this is a Lindsey Buckingham song, and this version takes on a much harder edge. And it's awesome. This is a great live song. I mean, he just really shreds and the vocal also, he really puts his heart and soul into it and uh, it's all there and it just leaves me speechless, frankly. And uh, just what a performance. It's a fine song on its own, but it gets elevated so much here. And this does go on for almost eight minutes, but I don't think any of it's wasted. I adore this. I am 100% right with you on this one. As far as a live cut, it definitely gets elevated coming out of Rhiannon because you then hit in the face with this raw Buckingham. I'm using your word on this Buckingham shredding that goes on so long, but not wasted at all. It even reminds me a little bit of like a Roger Waters slash Floyd feel inside of it, but 
It doesn't feel out of place. You're right on its own. It's fine. And we definitely are getting a way harder edged version of the song, which I love, but it's, it's again, not too long and not too played out. It's the perfect, when you're standing there in, in the concert and something like that happens, for me, sometimes you might not even recognize that you're inside the same song. And this is that really jam shred that comes in between Rihanna and, and where we go from here. Yes, and uh, I don't think there's much more to say about I'm So Afraid, and I think that's a good transition into our next song, which is definitely a palate cleanser because we just got two very intense performances. It's time for it to simmer down a little bit, and who better to do that than Christine McVie? And we get her new contribution to this album, the new song she brought to the table, Temporary One, she wrote this song with her husband at the time, Eddie Kintela. They've written several songs together, most notably Little Lies, a great song, to put it lightly. And this isn't Little Lies, but then again, what is Little Lies? Nothing. <laughs> but I will take this. This is a really lovely tune about togetherness. You know, the sea that divides us is a temporary one. The bridge will bring us back together has a very pleasant melody and uh, very pleasant harmonies. And uh, I do think this is the best of the new songs included here between what everybody bought to the table. This is just another Christine McVie classic, in my opinion. Again, it's not Little Lies, but I really enjoy this song. I think it's just a lovely tune. It's catchy and bright and everything I could ask for from Christine McVeigh. Yeah. Also for me, I feel like it's a super fitting song for the group on a reunion tour with The Bridge Will Bring Us Back Together. I really love that. You know me too well, right in the notes. Nice palate cleanser after the amount of sheer power that we've had so far. And it is. For me, I like it. I like the song. I like what it is. I think it is a well-hashed out song. Maybe it is live jitters. Maybe it is just me. But for me, this one seemed rushed tempo-wise, like just a little bit too fast. I felt like if it was slowed down just a tad, it would have sang so much nicer. But all in all, I really enjoyed it, especially for a work that we hadn't heard before now on this reunion album. Yes, and perfect place to put it here. <laughs> Yeah. And fortunately, we now get another new song, Bleed to Love Her. And at this point, Lindsay Buckingham explains how the reunion came to be. I played with Nick Fleetwood, and what do you know? <laughs> His best spoken word moment on the album. But Lindsay says this is the song they worked on together, and it's called Bleed to Love Her which intense title and uh, the lyrics are intense. It's not as musically crazy as I'm so afraid, but yeah, his passion's definitely there. He'll bleed to love her. I mean, uh, come on. Yeah. It's all there for the show. It of course works better when he's singing it next to his ex-girlfriend who he continued to work with for years. And uh, many think the flame never fully went out. When I heard this, I thought he was singing it to her. When I read it, I thought he was singing it to her. I don't care what you say, he's singing it to her. <laughs> like, it's a great song, but it's a beautiful, beautifully written love song, lyrically, about sacrifice and the sacrifice to love. And it sure as hell fit right in the set, if not right in the moment and right in who I think of as Fleetwood Mac. So I got to agree with you there, you know? 
if even if that fire is never fully extinguished, I feel like this is perfectly set while he's standing next to her, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's so much of what makes the album appealing. And, yeah. well, the band appealing for a lot of people. But in this case, this song. And Lindsay actually said it in an interview with Guitar World this year. He wasn't sure if the song would make the album, which seems silly in hindsight, because... Not only was it included here, it was included on Fleetwood Mac's next studio album, Say You Will, in 2003. So there you have it. But Lindsay follows this up with one of his biggest hits he wrote with Fleetwood Mac, Big Love, but in an all-new version. Because it was on the Tango in the Night album. That whole album has the 80s sheen that we discussed that everywhere has. It's all over it. And Big Love is another example of that. But Lindsay admitted in an interview that the use of all the synths made him forget that he was a guitarist above all else. And so he decided to do this song in this show, All Acoustic Guitar. And somehow he's a one-man band doing it. This is a full song and performance with just that. And before I saw the dance, when I went to the concert in 2015, he did the same version. And I was just blown away. I was like, who is this man? And I'm going to say it now. Lindsey Buckingham is somewhat underrated as a guitarist because of the fact that he should be considered one of the all-time greats because nobody else does this. Nobody else can do this. I think he is amazing as a player and he does it all with his fingers. He doesn't use a pick. This is finger-picking guitar and he sings it beautifully the whole time. I just love that bridge. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah, with the strumming it's just mind-blowing to me that somebody did this and in my mind he should be mentioned up there with the ones they consider the guitar gods because he has his own unique style and nobody else did it and that's why I think we should be mentioning him as in the same breath as folks like Clapton, Harrison, Richards, whoever else you want to say, Lindsay's with them in my book. I think this is the perfect song to put that opinion up there. And I feel like the people that know, know. Like guitarists that I know, he's up there. Let me tell you what, though. You know what? I stopped myself from cursing earlier on in this podcast. But this version of Big Love is fucking dirty. I'm talking <laughs> dirty. I'm talking if you're standing there live watching this your mind is blown my mind was blown and i knew buckingham can can get up there with the best of them and is is part of the best of them but this is top notch i don't care who you are listen to this and try to say this isn't top notch guitar because it is mind blowing uh i mean he he seamlessly goes from flamenco to a minstrel to sometimes he's got me convinced that he's playing it on a 12 string and i should have looked it up because he might have been but regardless the he sounds wasn't. he wasn't see it, it, it's at, yeah. at times i had myself convinced he was jamming on a 12 string because what he's getting from this guitar in this song is just phenomenal that, like that's really my notes for this song is effing dirty and Buckingham at his finest, because that's what it is. It's it's mind-blowing. No, don't just listen to it, watch it, because... I heard that, heard that. This was a visual, and it is on YouTube. 
widely available and yeah your mind will be blown and your life won't be the same after you watch this and in the best way possible so yeah man just if you didn't see it you're really missing out that's all i can say it'll give you a lot of big love (laughs) and going back into where it's at in the set right after bleed the love her it it just fits so perfectly. This one, I I could use the word palate cleanser, but it's, it's not. It's it's no. it's a piece, you know. It's it's just there, perfectly in the set. Standalone. Oh, standalone. It would still be insane guitar, but gosh, it works so well where it's at in this set. Oh yeah, and uh, being that this is the acoustic portion of the set, we go into a totally different kind of acoustic song. This one, the emotional wallop of them all, (laughs) Landslide. So what's interesting about this is this version begins with Stevie saying, this is for you, Daddy. And it's actually a nice story behind that because Stevie Nicks' father, Jess Nicks, believed that the song was about him. And she even said, I couldn't tell him it wasn't after he thought that, because of course it was about Lindsay and her contemplating, what am I going to do next? Because she was in her mid-twenties and really thinking about stuff. And well, that's how she created a resonant song. But here's the interesting thing about Landslide. It was not a hit until this album, which seems mind-blowing, because in my whole lifetime, Landslide's always been one of the signature Fleetwood Mac songs, but this was an album track. They did it live. It's on their 1980 live album, but it wasn't a hit. It was never a single, but it was this time around because the performance was so well received and quickly regarded as a highlight, and it charted at number 51 on the Hot 100, which is pretty impressive for the fact that this was a 20-plus-year-old live version of a song that was over 20 years old. I mean, who else is going to do that, frankly? It's pretty incredible. And admittedly, the original is beautiful, but this is the version of it because uh, it just hits harder to hear her older singing about children get older, I'm getting older too. It hits harder with this new voice. And uh, I mean, this is a timeless song. I mentioned Rhiannon had maybe lost its spell a bit for me. This one hasn't. It never has. And uh, its stature has only grown over time. And uh, Landslide Forever, that's all I can say. Because everybody knows this song and that's the way it should be. First listen of this one. Off this take, tears out my eyes. Not like weeping, but like just tears coming out. It's mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful version of Landslide. Landslide for me was one that I knew again back when I was a young kid because Fleetwood Mac was played in the house and it was something that I remember being sung around the house. But in 94, when Pumpkins, when, when Corgan did Landslide, it was neat because it was like unexpected from pumpkins. And for me, it was a callback to my childhood and it was so beautifully done. People were talking like, Oh man, have you heard this? Have you heard this? I'm like, yeah, I love it. It's one of, one of my, my jams from childhood. And then that sort of died down. And then here in 97, boom, right back landslide again. It was a unique period. I remember listening to landslide all the time. And it, it was it was so awesome because once this started to chart again and it was getting back on the radio, it was like 94 pumpkins, then boom, and then back into like the best landslide I'd ever heard. Uh, this is perfect. Again, in a live setting, it's one of those ones that you got to really live in that moment, take it in. And inside of this set, 
it's a perfect the pacing in the set i i haven't said enough about uh you know i keep touching at the end of every song like perfect in here but like we have been taken by the hand by fleetwood mac and just walked through genius up until this point and maybe even further but I, it's just that the pacing inside of this set is phenomenal oh most definitely and I think that the next song is a pretty good example of that. Yeah. Because after all these slower acoustic songs, we got to do something a bit peppier. And we go back to the White Album that features Landslide and I'm So Afraid, with Christine McVie introducing a new take on an old song, Say You Love Me, with John McVie on vocals, which didn't happen. So he did it, and... I don't like this as much as the reinterpretation of Everywhere, but part of that has to do with the fact that I don't think this is as good of a song as Everywhere, but it's still a good song. And uh, we get a banjo intro instead of a piano line, which off the bat, you know, okay, this is a new twist on an old song. And uh, faster tempo again. But this is a really versatile song because the banjo, you get these elements of that Americana and country sound, but then those backing vocals are pure doo-wop. So we're getting a bit of everything here. And uh, I like that we kind of turned it on its head. And I think that we, in a way, modernized it because frankly, the original Say You Love Me sounds very 70s. I feel like it's very Broadway. It fits braided with the adult contemporary hits of that decade, for better or for worse. I don't think it's a bad song at all. It's a good song, but I don't think it's the best here. But I like that they modernized it and still retained what made it a good song in the first place. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, there's no way getting around that glittery synthesizer lead-in of the original that it, you know, it takes away from the the punch of the song. And I love how they like you said brought a little bit of americana but that banjo really pepped it up you know it's a well-rounded sound inside and i think it's a natural choice and a natural evolution by someone who has in this case lindsey buckingham who has said you know what we're doing away with the synthesizers and like you said best charlie a finger picking master he's like i'm gonna put a banjo right on here and it worked it worked well it had a little bit of a almost like a who squeeze box feel and tempo yes. to it and, and i enjoyed that you're right it's not for me as much of a masterful composition as far as everywhere went where i was like wow look what they did here but it's it's enough to be another unique live piece. And it was something that I'm so glad they gave us. Yes, but you do know what Christine McVie song they should have included on this set instead of this. Oh shit, tell me. Little Lies. What if you oh, else true. did you think I was gonna no, say? I, 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 I was very surprised not to see it on this lineup. Yeah, it usually was on their lineup. It was when I saw them, thank goodness, sir. I would have been not happy, but... <laughs> I mean, admittedly, that might be too hard to take the Sims from, but Little Lies is a banger. That's a top five Fleetwood Mac song for me, and uh, it should be here. So isn't it Christy McVie that's playing the synths on these back in the day? Yes, she was the band's keyboardist. Was it more so that she just didn't want to do it anymore? Do you know? I, I, I was very curious when I was listening. I was like, yeah, they really have downplayed the synths. 
Uh, then when I started to research it, I saw that. But was it because and I, I don't want to say this in any disrespect, but it was it a point where she couldn't play these parts anymore or she just didn't feel like playing it or. At this point, she was still perfectly capable of playing it. But I do know in later years, she admitted to having some issues with tendonitis. Right. And that would definitely impact your playing. And maybe she didn't want to, but in general, I know she was tired of all the touring and she had a fear of flying that prevented her from doing it. Oh, wow. So, because she stayed away from music for 16 years after this tour was over. She did keep true to her word, but she did come back. And I think it's great that she came back because... She did a lot of great performances and even gave us some beautiful songs in her final years and just a perfect bookend to it all. I wish it wasn't the end, but I'm glad that we got that from her in her last decade. But enough about Christine. We'll get back to her. We are now back to Lindsay and another original song called My Little Demon. And Lindsay says this song is about how we all have demons, which... Truer words have never been spoken. And Nick Fleetwood teases him a little bit. He says, that's mine right there, which is <laughs> pretty funny. Um, I love Lindsay's speech when he talks about fighting for the positive choice. Those are great words to live by. Sometimes we all struggle to do that, but it's a good thing to remember. I think there's a nice drive to this song. There's also quite a few sound effects in it that are present and more so than in other songs here i don't think this is a bad song but i don't think this is a fleetwood mac song this is a lindsey buckingham solo song this is much more in keeping with what he did and does as a solo artist i mean this wouldn't have even fit in on tusk for goodness sakes this isn't fleetwood mac it's lindsey solo and it's good but it doesn't fit in here at all if there's any song here that i'm not quite understanding its place it's this one yeah other than that it's a new song but i'm i'm 100 with you on this is the only one that the tad bit took me out and was like eh, really this is what you picked it's not a bad song for me buckingham in his writing i've seen way better examples of the power of his writing this one just seemed a little too like straightforward you know like it was just like my demon my friends tell me but i'm not the man i used to be it's like I don't know. There wasn't any any real oomph behind it for me. Again, it's a cool song it, and it's new. So that's exciting from that live perspective. But this is definitely one where you're in the audience like, or I would have been in the audience like, I don't know this one. <laughs> you know, yeah. And it probably wouldn't have been one I was talking about afterwards other than like, do you guys know what came in between Say You Love Me and Silver Springs? Because I have no idea what that was. Yeah, you're right. With the sound effects, there was like wolves howling and shit. It was it was a different take. This is my, I thought you were going to say it. This is my gun to the head, least favorite track on the whole album. I, I would have to agree with that. And it's, uh, it's interesting what you mentioned about his writing being too on the nose. And... Uh, I think that's an issue that comes up more so in his later work starting around this time period. And I haven't heard every single thing, but it's something we get more of because I think that he loves to be experimental in the studio and do things like these sound effects. But I think that idea kind of bogs him down from writing better lyrics. Heard. 
And uh, again, that's why his work on Tusk is so great, because he takes these unique post-punk sounds, but he still has uh, the true singer-songwriter there. Yep. And uh, at this point, it's something else, because I think it's definitely a bit more of an issue with the on-the-nose, this on the Say You Will album, but that's a different story. But might be an interesting album to cover, though, but we're not there yet. <laughs> I haven't listened to it in a while, though, but who knows? <laughs> and now you already mentioned that we are at the centerpiece of the album, realistically. And it's a new old song called Silver Springs. And this is the one song that we are going to get into the backstory of because this was a new song for a lot of people, even though it wasn't so. Stevie Nicks wrote this song for Rumors, and I'm going to quote her here. She said, quote, I wrote Silver Springs about Lindsay, and we were in Maryland somewhere, driving under a freeway sign that said Silver Springs, Maryland. It's not actually Springs, it's Silver Spring, Maryland. Interruption, but back to the quote. And I loved the name. Silver Springs sounded like a pretty fabulous place to me. And you could be my Silver Springs. That's just the whole symbolic thing of what you could have been to me. And uh, I mean, that's what it is. It's kind of funny that she thought Silver Spring was such a magical place because it's a cool little town, but I wouldn't say it's magical. Yeah, but if you're driving through, it definitely sounds magical. I, You know, you, you always see those wild little cities when you're driving through the states. And you're like, yeah. man, I wonder what it's like to live in. I've, I don't have one off the top of my head, but you always see those wild ones. I mean, it's definitely a not in the middle of nowhere town. It's so suburban. <laughs> true, true, true. Back then, maybe not so much, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a neat, it's definitely a, a sign you don't see all over the U.S. You know, it's not like something vil. <laughs> yes, it is a unique town name. That and Chevy Chase, two unique yeah. town names in the state of Maryland. But it inspired her to write this. And uh, this is uh, the angry breakup song that she wrote at this time period. Because Stevie and Lindsay, they both were writing angry songs about each other. And this was hers. And it just sizzles with heartbreak and rage all throughout. And uh, Stevie loved the song. It meant a lot to her. And uh, she was fully intending for it to be on Rumors. But that didn't happen. Because Mick Fleetwood said the song was too long. And for other reasons, they were cutting it from the album. And uh, she was not happy about that. And instead, she recorded I Don't Wanna Know, which is also a fine song, but it's a shorter pop ditty. And engineer Richard Dash had even said that Silver Springs was the best song that never made it to a record album, which I'm not seeing the lie there. Yeah. But as a kind of compromise, this was released as the B-side to the lead single from Rumors, Go Your Own Way, which of all the songs, of course... <laughs> What, That's what, what it's the B side tale. What a tongue in cheek A and B, you know? <laughs> I know. But another caveat that Stevie Nicks had with the song not being included and only being a B side was that she wanted to give her mother, Barbara, the publishing rights to the song, which was a very kind thing of her to do because uh, the song clearly meant something more to her than just a breakup song if she was going to do that. But her mother didn't really get any royalties, at least not a lot from it. Not that many people bought the Go Your Own Way single because they bought the album Rumors. But this song just kind of 
became lost to time, but those who knew it loved it, but it was just a mystery of a song. And then we get to 1991, and uh, Stevie Nicks uh, is uh, going to release a greatest hits compilation of her solo work called Time Space. And she asked Nick Fleetwood uh, for Silver Spring. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply springs because she wanted to include it on the album so she could finally give her mother the publishing rights and some actual money from silver springs and mick fleetwood said no because he wanted to include it on the 25 years the chain box set that was due to come out the following year and stevie nicks was so unhappy about this that she actually left the band because she wasn't given her song back so i mean she could have recorded silver Springs stevie's version been ahead of her time before taylor swift did taylor's version but yeah but she, she didn't do that And so you would have thought that was the end of Silver Springs, but it wasn't. It was decided that they were going to include it in the set list. And just because it was a song, Stevie Nicks even said the idea wasn't, hey, let's do Silver Springs and make it a hit. It's no, let's just put it in the set list and include it. And uh, well, that was a very smart move, however, because it did become easily the most talked about song here. And a lot of this does have to do with the visual performance of it on the dance where Stevie shoots daggers at Lindsay Buckingham through her eyes. She is singing it to him and he's singing the harmonies with her and it's an intense performance there are reaction videos to it on youtube it's that kind of thing and uh, stevie nicks admitted that she did this performance on the dance for posterity because she wanted the audience to understand what the relationship was really like back in that time period so she really went there with the song and really did sing it to him and uh, it really got everybody talking and uh, this song ended up being nominated for a grammy for best pop performance from a group or duo wow it actually lost to virtual insanity by jamiroquai which i don't agree with but okay and uh, because of this stevie got her wish and she presented her mother with a fifty thousand dollar check for the publishing for Silver Springs uh, two months after the release of The Dance. There you go. And it's crazy how that worked out. And it made Stevie very happy because she even said, I thought my beautiful song had been lost forever and to see it come back this way has been amazing. And she definitely made more money off of it here than she would have if she included it on Time Space because this sold far more than Time Space. Uh, Yeah, it was really elevated the legendary status and... Everybody knew it. I know we don't particularly like her, but Courtney Love even said, I didn't know this song at all. I thought this was just some rare Buckingham Nicks song from before Fleetwood Mac. I had no idea what this was. This was new to me. And it was new to a lot of people, but it immediately became an iconic Fleetwood Mac song even though it wasn't included on Rumors. But interestingly, it has been included on reissues of Rumors. Wow, that's 
so, so crazy to go back and forth with your own band like that and then to have it end up in a semi-happy ending or a happy ending per se even putting it on rumors that's that's a little too far in my book to go back and put it on there i guess but it, it's it's a beautiful song and it sure as hell hit the mark here especially again in the pacing of this set you come out of my little demon this is one that you need you need everybody sort of question a little bit coming out of my little demon and then you got this one great insanely powerful breakup song and on top of that some of the best poetry slash lyricism from stevie nicks in my opinion um, oh yeah you know of course points for the maryland inspiration but <laughs> this song alone is just phenomenal no i mean come on time casts a spell on you but you won't forget me i mean insane it's just so real and uh, i mean it yeah that's really what it is i don't have much more to say than that it's relatable for a lot of people i think and it is uh, just a brilliant tune and it's great that it got the recognition it deserved through this album. I think it's wonderful that that happened. Yeah, man. But I will say, I she was not kidding about these looks being for posterity, because when I saw the band the first time, they did do Silver Springs as part of the encore. It was awesome. She killed it, but it was not as intense as what was recorded here. This is the version of it. I love that. Again, another beautifully unique piece that you get from live performances. You know, who knows if the, if if Buckingham knew she was going to come out of the gate swinging with her, the daggers from her eyes. But she gave that to not only him, but, you know, she let us all experience that and experience that. And that being part of the song, like for the singer songwriter to be standing in front of again for the second time here. Um, and who knows how many times here, actually, but to be standing in front of the subject of the song and sing it to them such a awesome thing to to let us all in on to let us all stand outside that window and watch it go down phenomenal yes and you might ask how do we follow that and uh, well it's on this cd going to be another song that actually made it to rumors one of the hits off that album you make loving fun another christine mcvee composition and uh, uh, FM classic. I've always really enjoyed this song, and this is a good version of it, too. It's slight differentiations in the tempo, but that's okay. It's still pretty faithful to the album version, and uh, what I've always liked about this song was it was that great Christine McVie pop song, but Lindsay's guitar on this version and the album version just gave it that heavier edge that it needed to fit in with rumors and everything that was going on with that because there was intensity behind every song on the album, this one included. And uh, I mean, she wrote the song about the man she was seeing that wasn't her husband. So it needed a little kick and it's provided here and there. And uh, yeah. I think that... That's wonderful. And it also works as an upper palate cleanser because we need a bit of a come down after Silver Springs. A, a bit of levity. You're right. You're right there. And and it, it, the pacing, again, I'm, I'm overusing the word pacing, but I can't iterate enough how, how phenomenal it is. It's that palate cleansing pacing that we, that we needed. Right off the cut, this might as well have been the studio cut. I mean, they're running high, okay? And all of the little live heebie-jeebies here are gone. They are in full form right now. 
and this is impeccable. I even love, and you talked about the the uh, change in tempo a little bit. I love the drawn out refrains. I like how they did that. Again, it adds the uniqueness of that live performance. It gives us the listener and us the attendee something super super unique that only goes along with these beautiful live showings it, it's perfect here and one of my favorites you're right it's an fm favorite of mine and they killed it god they killed this version yes making love and fun indeed <laughs> right right and uh, now we're on to an even softer song the new stevie nicks composition included here sweet girl this is a reflection on her fame i really love the line but i chose to dance across the stages of the world because she did choose to do that. She knew that was her destiny instead of settling down and being a mom and wife. She was going to be a performer, and that is what she's been doing for a long, long time at this point. But her man wants her to settle down and is calling her sweet girl because, well, she is a sweet girl. I mean, she gave her mom all that money off of one of her songs. She is a sweet girl deep down underneath all of the rumors of affairs and uh, witchcraft and all that. She's just a nice girl underneath it all. She is. <laughs> That's why this song is so great to me. I love her writing, but I don't know, honestly, and I ask myself this question, I still can't answer it. I don't know if it's because I really love her as a character or if I love her because she writes it so perfect or both. Uh, this is her writing about herself. That was my line, uh, the, the line that you quoted about dancing across the stages of the world. This is one of, again, her higher level poetry for me where it, it's fully enthralling and, and just grabs me whether I like it or not and takes me through this story of her and I love it. And I, you know, I didn't even go into it because I was really role-playing as this person, you know, standing there and listening. But as I go through and I get tidbits from, from your knowledge and, and, and grow through these songs, there is such a neat narrative once you start, I don't maybe the whole way through, but if you really like right from Silver Springs, you make loving fun, sweet girl into the next track is a really wild narrative of their love life and their lives, period. So just, it literally just came across me as, as we're talking, but another added level of, this beautiful story of her right after we heard her break up and then we heard you make love and fun. This is such a, such a great spot for this song. I agree. And admittedly, I'm not going to lie for a while. This was one I always kind of forgot about. And admittedly with the resurgence of two of her older songs here, this one did get lost in the shuffle a bit, but I Definitely with this listen through came to appreciate this song a lot more. And I'm really glad that I did because it's hard to get in between Silver Spring and Landslide. Heard. But this song is a nice little gem. And uh, it may not be as epic as uh, Rhiannon, but it works just fine. And it shows her versatility as a writer. And you talk about the character and the writer at the end of the day, but I always go back to too, if Stevie Nicks is the writer. Heard. Because underneath it all, she is a writer and she sings songs of the heart yeah. that speak to me and millions of others out there. And that's why she is, remains as successful as she is. Well said, well said. But the next song didn't paint her in the prettiest light because it 
was written by her angry ex at the time, Lindsay Buckingham. And that is Go Your Own Way, a signature Fleetwood Mac song for sure. And uh, so I'm just going to say it now. So this song has become very omnipresent in our culture. It's been played a lot. And that's understandable. It's a great song. But I mentioned this a bit with Rhiannon too. Sometimes it leaves a bad taste in my mouth when uh, this song, which is art, it may be commercial, but it is art. It's played in places that I don't associate with art. Like, I hear this song in the grocery store. (laughs) This is not a background music song. It loses some of its potency for me when I hear it a lot there, frankly, because I at one point worked at a grocery store and I heard it all the time and I thought, this just isn't working for me. And then it was in a medicine commercial for a bit and I'm like why is a bad cover of Go Your Own Way in a medicine commercial? Of course it's to make money. It's a smart move on that part but it kind of soured me a bit on this song for a bit. I'm not going to lie because that's just not where I feel it should be played. It's been taken out of its context into just becoming background music and it loses some of the spell, I guess. Rhiannon's not quite as guilty of that, but it is also. You'll hear that in the grocery store, too. And Rhiannon is poetry. It's more than a grocery store song. But alas, they gotta play something. But I will say with this version, I think it's pretty similar to the album. The vocal's not quite as wild. The guitar still is, which is good. Um, I I like hearing it here in its context. It's not a song that I go my own way to listen to anymore, (laughs) but it is good to hear it where it belongs, which is in this set, in this album. That's where we need to hear it because it really is part of a story. And I know all music is commercial and I don't feel this way about every song that's ever been played in the grocery store but something about this one in particular just i don't know it doesn't sit right with me but i'm glad to hear it in this context and i don't like feel the need to skip it it works fine for me here well it works great it should work great because it's a great song and a great set ender before an encore this is the set ender yeah before our encore, yes. Oh man, that's that's wild because for me, and before I go into that, I'll touch where you were. I I totally can feel you on that. There's there's songs out there for me, and I feel like everybody that you just hold a little bit more closer to the chest, and when you you see them in different situations, it, it takes you out. I can totally understand that. This one for where it's at, man, rock and roll at its finest. Here we go, you know, live performance up there buckingham's murdering it everybody's bringing it at this point um i laugh when you said it was the ender because in my notes i have as a listener and maybe it's unique to me but i i i couldn't think it is this is the song where when i'm at the top of my jam as a listener right there in front of them and they're like halfway through and they're killing the crap out of it i'm like oh shit the concert's over (laughs) You know, like I can feel the end coming. I'm like, ah, come on, come on, one more, one more. And that's this powerful version of Go Your Own Way. You can feel it. And I didn't realize it was the end. I couldn't tell if that was the encore cut. Um, But what a great way to go out and and just crush on an end note. A really, really awesome way to end this set. Yes. 
Except that it's not over. We have an encore to get to. Yeah, man. Oh, we leave in spectacular fashion. We get the USC marching band out to do Tusk almost 20 years later. They played on the original recording of it, and they're back to do it again. And uh, I've always loved the song Tusk. It's a gloriously weird song. It's, It's definitely one of the weirdest songs that's ever been a top 10 hit. That's for sure. But I love it. It's just uh, that percussion all over it is incredible. And the marching band just adds so much. And it's not a song I've ever really felt the need to dive into lyrically, just because I like the vibe of it all. It's just uh, a unique song, unlike anything else. And uh, honestly, the place where Lindsey Buckingham's experimental ambitions came together in the best way possible. I don't think he ever topped this in terms of experimentation. And it still sounds great here. Yeah, great is a neat way to put it, but almost an understatement at this point, especially as an encore for me. And I know you, of course, we've talked about this over and over again. I'll speak for both of us. Another beautiful thing. We talked about the perfect imperfections. We talked about the anxiety and the the looking forward to the band hitting the stage. We talked about all different aspects of it as a live listener. But for me, one of the top things is a spectacle and a, a spectacle of a band that I don't expect to bring this out to me, especially not at a reunion show, especially not with a full USC marching band. Um, just this is how you do an encore. This is how you do an encore. Are you joking my ass? Like if I was sitting in a soundstage and here comes a marching band out of nowhere for the encore. This is, ladies and gentlemen, this is live music. This is what it's all about. Kudos to you, Fleetwood Mac, for, for really realizing that and giving that to us here. What a live moment. Oh, yeah. This would have been the highlight of it probably if I were there in person. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a thing to do. And it kind of just leaves you speechless. But on this CD... We have one more song to get through. And Christine even says, we've never done this one with a full brass section before. So should be interesting. And uh, yes, it is none other than Don't Stop, which was at this point a Fleetwood Mac song that was pretty fresh in some people's memories because it was Bill Clinton's campaign song in 1992. And the band performed it at Clinton's inauguration. And... uh, That's such an awkward video to watch. Hillary Clinton has no uh, movement whatsoever. She's so stiff. (laughs) But enough about that, because Don't Stop is a nice, uplifting song. And uh, with a full brass band, it easily could have gone off the rails in the worst way possible. But it doesn't. They fit with the song perfectly. It's just enough. They don't overpower the song. They're there as background. They're not as prominently featured as they are in Tusk, but they shouldn't be because it's not a song for that. And uh, they just blend right in and play the song as it should be. They're not trying to make a bunch of noise. They're letting the band do their thing and sing their beautiful song to close out this album. And uh, what a way to end an album. That's all I can say. I'm happy to do it and i wish it didn't stop but it has to yeah man i mean think about finishing that set we don't have to think about it you know think about being there listening to it but what a way to end and beautifully put it all together we went from the jitters 
at the beginning to now we're inside of a victorious jam of don't stop with a marching band behind and you're right they don't take over they actually for me they give just enough to the backing vocals of the high parts where they didn't have nobody had to struggle to hit those notes because those trumpets or those horns period were jamming out there and and aided in that as well yes. um what i mean come on and then at that four minute where it goes into just like the marching band drum cadence and they're going on really well done uh just a fully realized beautiful double encore insane insane and uh, there we have it the dance the dance i i would like to know what is your grade for this album starting the new year 2023 fleetwood mac the dance gets an a plus from me as a live experience the band together with its a players in my opinion after 10 years since they had released an album together this is the most rock solid example of a reunion slash best of slash retrospective live performance that I have ever heard recorded from the opening harmony of the chain past the candidness and the artfully playful stylings of Rhiannon uh, through the heavy Buckingham guitar throughout. I'm so afraid over the picture, perfect landslide. And the ripping power of Go Your Own Way, only to be capped off by a live tusk with marching band and finished with the Don't Stop in one of the most carefree and victorious versions, uh, you know, accompanied by those same horns. Ladies and gentlemen, I said it before, I'll say it again. This is live music. This is a perfect example of why I love live music, why we love live music yes. so much. And to put it in so many words, this is Fleetwood Mac. Yes, I'm going to have to give it the same grade because you're right. This is live music and uh, there's a lot of live albums out there. I would say this is pretty safe bet to say this is my favorite of all the live albums because it's an experience. That's why it's the dance. It's not a dance. It's the dance because there's just so much else going on and... uh, what a wonderful album and band. Thank you, Fleetwood Mac, for giving us this wonderful music. And all of you have given us so much that we're grateful for. I know I am. So yeah, man. what yeah, an man. album, The Dance. What is your favorite song here? That's... <laughs> I try to beat you to it. My fa- It's tough, man. It's really hard. It was really hard for me to pick. Um, I know it's not your favorite, but I really am in love with the composition for, for Rhiannon on this. And I think, now I think, I'm locking it in. That's my final answer. Rhiannon is my favorite jam on this album. I, I gotta go with Silver Springs. Maybe the yeah. obvious answer, but come on. <laughs> it's really good. Come on. Really good. Nothing else to say. And if you didn't get to watch, I know it used to be more readily available on streaming, but if you ever get the chance, do watch the recording of it too. Oh, yeah, I, I must. You know, it's so wild to reading that it was an MTV thing and the whole nine. It never even dawned on me to watch it. Because I love I, I didn't say this much. And that now that we're on our, our after ramblings, I loved listening to this. I listened to this at least like 50 times. And because we've had it like what a week off, you know, we had a yes. longer than we usually do. And whew. Man, this is one hell of a live album. I don't know if I've ever given an A plus. I was gonna go this look back. This is the first one. Or, this is uh, a this that. It's not even that I'm a sucker for live music. This is just 
No, it's that flawless. good. It's flawless. It's that good. It and uh, yeah, no, it was funny. This used to be on streaming, but I actually had to pull out my DVD of it. And uh, it is not a new DVD. It is a double-sided DVD with no main menu. It goes right into it like a VHS tape. There you go. There you go. But it's still glorious no matter what. So... Hell yeah. I love it. And uh, there we have it. We're kicking off the new year with the dance. But now I must ask you, I have no idea what you've picked for me to dive into this coming week. And (laughs) I'm dying to know. We talked about it earlier. Uh, This is sophomore year high school. So there's all types of stuff going on for me in 97. And I'm thinking back, like, what do I really want to go through? Um, I said I was listening to a lot of hip hop and I was an album that really hit me this year. And it hit me because it made me step out of my, I'll say comfort zone or just really, it was a new sound sonically and the way it was presented. And it was OK Computer by Radiohead. So we're going to do OK Computer by Radiohead. And uh, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to do this one. I haven't I haven't really hardcore listened to it in a while, but it really meant a lot to me back then. So reminiscing on 97, that's where we're going to go. All righty. Uh, I know the big hit off this album, of course. I know it's very highly regarded, but I've never listened to the whole, to it the whole way through. And maybe that'll get me canceled by some music nerds, but <laughs> it was not the go-to thing for me to appealed to me it was not the first thing so I'm glad to be doing it and uh, yeah it's just not it's a band I know is very acclaimed and I know the big stuff but never sat down and listened to the whole album and uh, I'm excited to do it and uh, with that being said we are also going to have a poll on this episode to decide our final album of the month and to tie our 97 albums together I decided to choose 97 Grammy winners because even though I've said the Grammys are bullshit, kind of, they are coming up pretty soon. And it's a good unifier, I think, for a poll. So one of the Grammy winners that year was actually OK Computer, but there's four others from that year. So our options will be Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind, Erica Badu's Baduism, Puff Daddy's No Way Out, and James Taylor's Hourglass. Some good ones in that mix. Some good ones in that mix. Yeah, and a bit all over the place. Something for everyone. So cast your vote on that in this episode and also on the Instagram story when you see it. Do follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts. Subscribe and follow wherever you're listening and leave us a nice review. It'll really help. And other than that, I will have to get on this okay computer train for next week. Hopefully I'm not too much of a creep about it. (laughs) But until then, adios. Peace.